hey, you're listening to Chew on that, and here's what we're chewing on today. So today, I want to talk to you on this final Sunday before Easter about a story from the Gospels that so many of us have heard, but I think so few of us have truly understood. It's a story that's been labeled as the triumphal or the triumphant entry, but I would propose to you it could also be called the tearful entry. Hey, hi, this is Pastor Scott. Thanks for joining us on Chew On That. Uh, Today we're covering uh, Pastor Sean's message, The Tearful Entry, which is part of his Jesus Said sermon series, and it's fantastic, just I suppose like they always are. Today my special guest is my friend, Molly Tomashik. Say hi, Molly. Hi, Scott. Hi, everybody. <laughs> did I say that right? You <laughs> totally <laughs> did. It was great. <laughs> I was super freaked out as soon as I said it. I'm like, <laughs> do I have that right? Anyway, hey, Molly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, Scott and I, Pastor Scott and I, are new friends. Um, it's really cool that I get to be here today. Um, we've been attending Life Church for, I think, about like seven or eight months. And, but I live here in De Pere with my husband and four kids. I'm a music teacher in an elementary school in Howard. And yeah, I'm really wow. excited to be here. That's awesome. Hey, so when you were growing up, like how did you come up? Were you always a church person? Yeah, I grew up in the Catholic church. I went to Catholic grade school all the way through college, went to St. Norbert. Um, my parents were like super devout. They still are just, they love Jesus. And that was a part of our life growing up. Um, but yeah, I kind of left the Catholic tradition in, I think it was 20. Uh, Some Mm. friends invited me to a Bible study, uh, my husband and I, and to a Bible study. And it was in that Bible study that we read through the book of John and we were like, what, (laughs) what, it's like we had never heard half of it before. That's what it felt like anyway. Um, and it was really in relationship with those people that we came to love Jesus very personally um, uh, because we saw him in them. So that's... Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's let's just jump right into it. Uh, so what we've done is we've uh, grabbed what we think are the greatest hits from uh, the Sunday message. And so we'll pull those out and take them piece by piece and just talk about uh, what they mean a little bit. So here's the first one. First, the route of Jesus' arrival was not a coincidence. Look at what the Gospel of Luke says. It says, Jesus went up ahead, going up to Jerusalem, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. For Jesus to approach Jerusalem from this particular route, he would have had to journey through the wilderness, the same wilderness he had spent 40 days being tempted by the devil in, in Luke chapter four. Think of the memories. Think of the reminders. Think of the triggers that must have gone off in his head. I wonder if he was thinking there has to be a better way. There there must be another way. It was really another temptation. A temptation for Jesus to choose his own path. A temptation for him to choose the path of least resistance. And I wonder, are you ever tempted to take your own path? Have you ever been tempted to think that you knew more than other people, that you could do other things other than what you're being instructed to do or what you're being told to do? You ever feel like you know better, like you can go out when other people can't? Have you ever 
chose your own path, but by taking that path, by walking the difficult route, Jesus and his disciples, they actually emerged from the place that had been prophesied from which the Messiah would emerge. It wasn't some coincidence. Okay. So the first thing that jumps out at me uh, or jumped out at me when he, when Sean was was saying that was like so often like we glaze over or we forget about the parts where Jesus was fully and completely man, and so this idea that you know that interaction that he had with Satan in the wilderness where Satan was like tempting him and saying you can have all this if you just do that like as though like Jesus just like like killed it out there and so like it wasn't any trouble to him but I mean. I feel like he was troubled by that. It was troubling for him. It was difficult for him. So when Sean says, can you imagine walking back through that again and the triggers that that would set off in your head? And I know that I totally feel that in my life where I'm like, I find myself in similar situations where I feel like, you know, I've been in this place before. I've been in this wilderness before and it sets off triggers for me. And then, you know, if I'm not super focused on, you know, who I am in God, I'll lose my way. I'll totally lose my way and 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 react to those triggers and find myself in, in bad places. Wow. Yes. Um, I love the fact that Pastor Sean mentioned triggers because it's like a real psychological thing um, that it actually is like something that's happening chemically in our brains that we are triggered um, by that fear or whatever. And um, I, I just so, I was just really grateful for that commentary uh, because I feel like we all have our wildernesses and we have those big ones that we've looked back on and we're like, wow, I never want to do that again. Um, that was incredibly hard, but we learned something amazing like Jesus learned, like he was confident in his identity coming out of the wilderness. But like, wow, I'm sure I just, it broke my heart to think of him in that much turmoil coming in. Yeah. That was just, that was, yeah, it does. It makes him human. He makes, it makes him like he can, he gets me. Yes. Right. Like I, I need my, I need my God to be all three things that God is, right? Like I, I don't, I need my God to be all powerful and all like, you know, the big genie in Aladdin, but I also need him to be like me and I need him to be able to relate to, to me and the things that I'm doing or the things that I have to go through or the things that are causing me grief and a big giant cosmic genie God that's all powerful and omni everything I feel like is not relatable to me or wouldn't truly understand me. So I love knowing that these things were difficult for Jesus. That's so good. That's good. The day of Jesus' arrival wasn't a coincidence. Jesus and his disciples arrived on Selection Sunday. You see, on the Sunday before Passover, every Jew was required to choose the lamb that they would sacrifice that coming Friday. Jesus' arrival on this particular day was God's way of saying, here's your Messiah, he's my lamb, which for them changed the whole context of the story. God was saying, you've been looking for a conquering king when you should have been looking for a sacrificial lamb. This is my lamb. Will you choose him? You know, it's so, it's so like, it's such a Sean thing to refer to it as Selection Sunday, because when you say Selection Sunday to me, you know, I think of the NCAA tournament. I know, it's like, is that like a sporting thing? <laughs> I think it is, yeah. <laughs> it is sports ball for sure. And so, but I love that. And I, I never knew that that was a tradition. I never knew that that's oh. something that happened, 
you know, on the Sunday before Passover that you'd pick your sacrificial lamb. And so, and we lose that, like Sean said, we lose that so much in our context because we're not sacrificing lambs, right? We're not going out back and grabbing what we think is the best example of what we are, what we have, or the most valuable thing that we have to lay before the altar. So we lose the context of the lamb of God and, you know, the sacrifice. We And it's, it's all language. It doesn't apply in our current context. And so we don't feel the weight of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just, again, like the this confrontation that's happening within um, what Jesus is bringing and what the people are expecting is just really powerful because it's that transcends like that is what's current. You know, we may not be doing the lamb thing anymore, but we definitely have our context of God says this and we say, Oh no, I'm expecting this and this is how I want this to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and, and it's, 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 I mean, no matter where you are in your Jesus journey, it's always something that we have to deal with where we're like, we have this idea in our head of how things have to unfold or what they have to look like or what I'm going to get. And so when we pray, you know, or talk to God about it, we always, it seems like we always to do that. We always like, you know, put what, what we, how we feel we want it to go out in front. And so when, you know, when Jesus comes and it's a different kind of lamb or a different kind of Messiah, you know, there's a perfect example about for us that, that, you know, what are we expecting? And, you know, I wonder in your, in your own walk, Molly, was there this thing, this switch between uh, Catholicism and, and I don't know, is it, is it, evangelicism. I don't know how you'd say that. <laughs> Evangelicalism. I don't know. We'll yeah, make yeah, up there's a lot of syllables. We'll good. <laughs> so could, could that be the kind of similar thing where there was a different Jesus that you learned about when you read the book of John? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I still fight with that old mentality. So I'd like to say that I just put that to rest when I was 20. Um, but I still feel like the fight to be the good girl is um, the the battle that way just rages within me, like even heading yeah. into this day of like, I'm going to be recorded for all posterity. Like, <laughs> will I be a good girl? Will I say the right things? Like, those are just battles that are normal. Like, they're just so ingrained that, you know, I think it's easy for me to crawl into the skin, well, somewhat of like someone who had been there with Jesus, like, God, I want you, I want you to say I'm good. Yeah. Just tell me I'm good. Did I do that right? Right. And he's like, I don't care. I know. Right? Yeah. He's like, what's this? Yeah. Like in the fugitive, when, when Harrison Ford, I don't remember his name. And that, did you know the movie I'm talking about right now? Or, yeah. is, that, or is that too old? Okay. Anyway. And like Tom, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, like Harrison Ford's like, I didn't do it. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. Right. Like that's not. The point, I feel like God says that to us too. Like, we're like, oh my gosh, look at all this crap that I've done, God. Like, yes. I can't believe. And God's like, I don't care. I know. Right? Like, you know, stop bringing it to me. It's definitely stop carrying it around. I know. I feel like God is having a whole nother conversation. I say this often with my friends. I feel like I'm over here speaking like German and God <laughs> is over here speaking French. And yeah. I'm like, no, it has to be done right. And he's like, but I love you. But I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Maybe, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. All right, let's go to the next one. 
Watch this, because the Gospel of Matthew tells us what it was those people were saying, and this is so good. Here's what Matthew says. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is where the context becomes really important. Because when we read this story, we would tend to read the word Hosanna and to us, that would be a statement of praise because many of us have heard the songs, we've sang the songs, Hosanna, Hosanna and the highest. So to us, we understand that Hosanna is a statement of praise because we know the end of the story. And it's always easier to know the context when you know the ending, which incidentally is why you need to be careful how you view your situations and your circumstances when you're still in the middle of them. Whoa. So I love this idea of like looking at what is right now and present in front of our eyes, especially, you know, we're in this shelter in place COVID-19 season where like the whole world is being shaken. And I, I love the fact that we need that we can look, we can not only that we should, but we can look with hope and expectation hmm. for um, things that are eternal, things that are just next. But I also, when I hear that, I was like, oh, 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 don't forget the past because I can look back and see all the deliverance that has happened in my life and I can see all the rescuing. And even like I can go back 200 years from now. I've been like a little obsessed lately with like hymns hmm. because I want to sing the songs of people that, what were they singing in the Spanish flu? What were they yeah. singing in World War One? What were they singing um, in the bubonic plague? Like, what were right. they singing? What were they praying? Because I want that heart of endurance. I want that heart of faithfulness. Because we're just not used to thinking like that. But I do. I love the just look beyond. Like, I know we want to be present, but look beyond the now for the full reality of what we're in. Yeah, that's good. You know, I had a conversation. Well, that was really good. You're really good at this, Molly. <laughs> I had a conversation uh, yesterday or the day before uh, with um, Father Mike Brennan from uh, the Norbertines, yeah. and we were uh, talking about Holy Week, and he um, he t he talked about um, we were talking about Ash Wednesday, and he talked about how you know we know the thing about like from ashes you come and from ashes you return, and again, you know part of the part of the thing for me with in the Catholic tradition is that the there it's such a refined way of looking at it they, 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 because they've been saying it and thinking it forever that the words are almost too big for me, mm. right? Like the, you know, from ashes you come and from ashes ah, you return. Yeah. And, you know, really just what I need is like, dude, you're going to die someday. <laughs> <laughs> so like, keep that in mind. So that goes back to, you know, an ancient Latin phrase, memento mori, which means remember your death, meaning like, hey, it's not just about right now, right? Like there's a you know, that at some point you're going to die. Like, what is, well, like, what kind of context does it create in your life right now? Mm. And so I, I just, I really love that he said that. I really love that, you know, that perspective of, listen, it's, you don't get overwhelmed by the things that you can see because there's things that are just outside your peripheral vision that are happening or that mm. could happen or are about to happen or used to happen. Yeah. You know, because I'm like you, like, I want to know. Like I, I like to travel and when I travel, especially, you know, when I've been to Europe, like I love going into old churches, right? Like, yeah. like the churches, right? Like the Sacre Coeur and Notre Dame and like all these like amazing, you know, places. Uh, the Hagia Sophia. I don't know how to say that. That's why I didn't save it because I don't know how you're <laughs> supposed to say that. I'm a bad pronouncer. 
So I don't know. It was like, Sophia. I don't know how to say it. Nice. Anyway, well, I'm a classy dude, but I love standing in those spaces. Right. And like, like what did these saints like who sat here or walked through this doorway or walked up these steps or prayed in these spaces Mm -hmm. and like breathed in this air? Like, where were they coming from? And what did they, I love that. I love that kind of perspective Mm -hmm. because I mean, like for right now, COVID is everything, right? right? And I'm not trying to diminish it, right? Like it's a thing and people are dying and that's a horrible thing. You know, but like, what good can we pull out of this? Like, what good, you know, what good can we take? How do we, how are we going to come out of this? What are we going to look on the other side of it? And uh, I love that perspective. When we read this story, we read the word Hosanna as a statement of praise. But to those followers on that day, this was not a statement of praise. It was a political statement. To them, that word meant deliver me. It meant give me freedom. At its root, at its core, it meant save us. And it was the only word in the Hebrew language that could not be spoken quietly. That word had to be shouted, Hosanna! They were saying, save us! Interestingly, according to the American Lifeguard Association, 70% of all drownings happen because the victim refuses to shout for help. They think that they can save themselves. So these people were not shouting, Hosanna, praise be to the Son of God who, who came to die for our sins. We assume that again because we know the ending. But in their context, that wasn't their view of or expectation of the coming Messiah. And what I wonder is, what's your view of or your expectation of your coming Messiah? What are you expecting Jesus to do for you? What are you anticipating that Jesus is going to do for you? Wow, wow, wow. I'm going to say that like 50 times during this, but... This point, I was just so hit by, for me personally, this idea of um, these foundational if-onlys that I kind of launch my life from. This just really hit me. Um, I have a lot of like fill in the blanks for God. You know, God, you're good if you do this. God, you're loving if it looks like I want it to look. And I have these if onlys that are in my understanding, my theology even, that he's yeah. got to like turn out a certain way for me, which it actually makes me emotional like I could cry as I say it like wow, God, I am so sorry that I make me God. Cuz that's that makes me God that I get to be the one who determines. Yet I I don't want to shame my brothers and sisters that were standing before Jesus in the person shouting Hosanna, because like, I think it's a human thing. We just get it wrong. You know, we just get mixed up and we interpret life incorrectly. That's, there will never be a day when we don't need a savior. We won't figure this out and be, Oh, we won't just be like, all right, I got it figured out. Now I don't need Jesus. Like we will always need a rescue. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that because I, yeah, so good. Because I feel like sometimes we want to, we want to shape God into like what we want, right? Like we want him to like, that's the fill in the blanks, right? So like you're God, if you fill in this mold as I've designed it. And so if you fall, if you spill out of that mold or if you like, you know, destroy the mold or, you know, whatever, then you're not really my God because I need my God to look like this and to act like this and to do this. 
And so, and instead what we should be doing is like, you know, I need to fill in whatever mold God's got for me. Wow. I should be filling in his mold, not, you know, me, him filling in my mold. And so, um, yeah, that's beautiful. I love, love, love that. I love what you said that we will never not need a savior. Like we're never fully like Hosannified, right? <laughs> we're never, you know, yeah. where we've got it, where we, we, where we arrive. Yeah. And so the other thing I liked about this uh, thing was that how desperate they were mm-hmm. for a savior. Right. And so, but you know, in their context again, was like, they were sick of being oppressed by Rome. They were sick of being, you know, shuffled around and not having their own country. They were sick of, you know, I don't know, slavery. They were sick of like all of it, right? They were just sick of it. They were so desperate, you know, for a Messiah that they, you know, when they recognized someone that that could be the Messiah, they were like, yes, let's, let's have this guy. This is the guy. And then I think about where we are today. And I think about the people that I know and the people that I encounter and, and I'm like, Boy, they are oppressed. And while it's not, you know, the government or it's not, you know, whatever, like people are oppressed by our world. Like where they're, you know, they, they, but they, the crazy thing about our world is that it oppresses us here. Like I know that there's people, you know, in Kenya, right, that are, you know, they're oppressed in a different way. But I'm, just, you know, the people that I encounter on a day to day basis, you know, they're oppressed, but they're oppressed by a world that makes them feel like they're not being oppressed, that they're being fulfilled, but they never get mm. that feeling. They never get the payoff of being fulfilled. And so they just have to keep buying in or like buying a new ticket or mm. taking the ride again. And so they're oppressed and they don't know it. And I, I, and I know it. And so I, that's why I'm desperate. That's why I'm desperate to cry out, Hosanna, like, save me, because like I'm being oppressed, you know, by my world. Mm. I don't know. I just totally just made that up. I don't know if that's theologically sound or if it makes sense, but. Oh, I think it does. I think the, I think that that's the reality is the desperation and then we need it. We need a deliverance and, and the world is loud and um, life is hard. And I think life without knowing that you can be delivered is, like you said, just this constant ticket punch. And that's torment. It really is because it never ends. And we do these things where we feel like we're filling in this gap. Like, oh, yes, that's going to make me so satisfied. I'm going to be so satisfied if I could just, you know, finish this bottle of wine or if I could just, you know, buy four more things on Amazon or if I could just look at more dirty pictures on the Internet or if I could just you know, spend some time at the casino, right? Like, well, I'll just be satisfied if I could just do that. But then you do those things and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still empty. I'm still, yeah. I'm still wandering. I'm still adrift, you know? And so the only thing you know fixes it, fixes it for five minutes, but you're like, at least it's five minutes of something. Yeah. You know, we're really what they should be doing is crying Hosanna. Yeah. Here's the second thing that the Gospel of Matthew says that diverts the direction of the story. He says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Again, so many of us have heard and I myself have even preached about the palm branch being a symbol of praise. And in our context, that makes perfect sense. And to be clear, it doesn't make us wrong. But to these people in this context, these palms were not meant to be a symbol of praise. The last time the Jewish people had been free, the last time they had their own currency, the coins were stamped with their nationalistic symbol, the palm branch. 
In the context of that nationalistic culture, palm branches had nothing to do with peace or love. For a Jewish nationalist at that time, the palm branch was to them what the stars and stripes are to every proud American. These palm branches were, they, were their way of saying, we want our freedom, we want our independence. See how the context changes? The story, it suddenly goes from a Hallmark movie with little kids running down with ribbons and deers running alongside them and the, you know, a, a Doris Day song being played in the background. It goes from this beautiful feminine Hallmark movie to an action film. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that because for me, that is what it looks like. And I don't know if it's because of Jesus movies that I've watched in the past or, you know, idealized dis- depictions of this scene from Sunday school and little felt, you know, uh, <laughs> cutouts on a, on a felt board. But I for sure thought of it, right? Kids running alongside with banners and streamers and, you know, whatever else that, you know, everyone was just really excited to see Jesus when really... I mean, this is this opened my eyes to a whole different thing where they weren't excited to see Jesus as much as they were excited to say, now it's going to end. Now we're going to get ours. Now we're going to stomp them out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just even the like to kind of paint that picture even more when um, Pastor talked about the swelling population um, on that week of Passover, that it would go from like 25,000 people to like 100, 125,000 people. Like, just imagine like a small little community just filled with people and nobody's inside. They're outside, just everywhere and just the chaos. And so it's and um, you put that pressure, the the pressure that those those um, religious leaders were feeling to keep order. Um, And it's just like a volcano waiting to erupt and. Um, that Jesus is walking right in the middle of it um, is just, I think it's profound and I think it's relevant to today that he just walks right in the middle of that chaos, yeah. right in there. You know, and I, and I think about that because, you know, to your point earlier about like, about, you know, being able to see what might come next, right? And so like, even in the middle of that where they're, you know, uh, they're whipped up, right? They're all like, you know, super duper excited. But then we know that, you know, the religious leaders then take a different task and say, hey, you know, this guy isn't ours. And so you should probably go do something about this to Pontius Pilate or to, I don't know, whoever was there. I don't remember. But anyway, it's not important. So like, but they said like, listen, this isn't our guy. And this is what he's doing because they were trying to protect what they already had. They were trying to protect their peace, their position, their power, because they would lose that if the Romans thought that, well, I guess all the Jews are caught up in this. And so let's just lay waste to everybody. Yeah. And so you could see where they were just trying to protect themselves. And so that's why they went from, hey, you better tell everybody to shut up for a second because we're going to get in trouble to you know, it's just like when you were a kid. Well, I did this with my sister, but to get myself out of trouble, I'll go tell on my sister, right? And she'll get in trouble and then I won't get in trouble. Yeah, you know? I think it's easier for us, I think, to admit that we might be like the crowd than to admit we might be like those religious leaders, yeah. you know? Um, 
yeah. other people. <laughs> like, right. Yes. I would. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. They are messed up. Uh, and at least mm. I don't do that. Wow. Wow. I think there's a scripture about a guy who says stuff like that. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, it's easy to look at it that way, but yeah, very much lives in us too. Just fear. Yeah, I dig that. Scripture says as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. And the Greek word used here actually means he wept out loud. He wailed. And he wept over the fact that these people totally missed it. Can you imagine what that crowd must have thought? We've just proclaimed him as our king and now he cries? But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They won't leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Why did he weep? because they were looking for peace in the wrong place. I wonder if that's true of you. Are you looking for peace in the wrong place? Are you looking for peace through people or possessions, physicians or politics? Or are you looking to the Prince of Peace, the gracious God through whom and only through whom scripture says we are saved by grace through faith? I wonder, in the context of your life today, are you going to drown in silence? Or are you going to shout, Hosanna, Prince of Peace, Gracious God, rescue me, deliver me, save me? That makes me really emotional. Um, I was just, as we are listening to him speak, I'm trying not to cry. Um, this idea that we can seek relief instead of peace um, is just, it's profound. And I think it's something beautiful that I'm just learning to see in the word right now is the timing of Jesus's arrival, that he came to the Jewish people right in their time of oppression. He didn't come yeah. when they were like living it up with Solomon or like David. And it was like the high life of the Jewish time. He came right, right. right in the oppression. He came when they had no other way out and they were like drowning in taxation and fear of violence. And um, they were poor and they had no political clout and they were the ethnically uh, other uh, that he came right then. And, and what I love is that this moment that his tears reveal that there will always be another problem there. If he would save them from this moment, there will always be the next oppressor. There will always be the next thing. But I want to give you something that will help you in this moment. Yeah, so good. That will like that will carry you no matter what. That you are gonna like live through this victorious. And uh like that's my Jesus. That's why I love him. Because he comes right in the middle of my worst day. 
and he makes a way where there is no way. And it's it's not about the circumstance changing. It's that he just comes with love and peace and his presence and patience and hope and grace. And it truly is enough. Like I can't explain it. I don't get it. I don't get how you face chronic illness and still keep going. I don't get how you face losing a job and keep going, but he does it. I don't know, but he does it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Like I feel stupid even saying anything right now because that's, I mean, that's it, right? It's like, um, he, so he cries because they want someone like, gosh, you just said everything. Like they want someone that's going to like, that's going to get rid of Rome. Right. Right. And so, because they're so, they're so short sighted, right? Like this is, this is what's bothering us. And I feel like this is like the Israelites jam where they're like, Oh my gosh, this sucks right now. I can't, we was better in Egypt when we, at least they gave us three square meals a day and now we're eating manna. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I just feel like this is kind of, but I, and I say that that's like so typical Israelites, but it's so typical me. I was going to say, um, or, like or me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And so this is like, we're as God's people, it's just, that's how we handle things. And like, so Jesus like, I'm here, you guys, we're going to, we're going to take care of this. And they're thinking small picture, right. right? Where they, you know, it's kind of reminds me, this might be a stretch, but it kind of reminds me like, you know, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach a man to fish and he eats forever. Right. And so like, rather than saying like, let me just give you this one bit that's going to get you through today. Let's figure out how we solve this problem forever. Right. Like let's, let's just do it forever. And that's, so now when I look at the people that are out there, even like fellow Christians that are even in this really like difficult time where no one knows what to do because we've never, ever done this before. And they're like, everyone's picking on everybody. And I can't believe these people are doing that. And I can't believe these other people are doing this other thing. I can't believe it. Everyone's looking for division and difference and a way to pick a fight. And listen, if you're a Jesus person and you're still picking political fights, you are not paying attention. Right. And you're yeah. like, you're, and Jesus is crying over you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm not trying to say that Jesus told me he's crying about you, but I just feel like that's the same thing that you're standing out there raving the red, white, and blue, you know, saying, let's rah, 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 you're wrong. Anti this against that. Rah, rah, rah. And like, you know, making fun of other political parties or that, like what stop this is that's eating a fish for a day, man. We were given yes. fish for life. We were given bread for life. We were given the living water that we never thirst again. And why are you clowning around, you know, on this current voting season? Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. Anyway. Oh. And so like when people ask me about like my peace or like where I find joy or where I find it. Listen, things are scary for me too. I'm, I'm a high risk person, right? I'm old. I'm overweight. I'm diabetic. I've got heart problems. There's no way that I should be like handing out lunches to at risk school kids. There's no way that I should be taking pictures of people that I feel deserve to be heroes. There's no way I should be doing it. I should be wrapped up in cellophane in my bed or something, I think. But like I, so it's not like I don't have fear, but like I just feel like I've got a peace that I've got to, I want to make a difference while I can. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like in this season, people are really going to look to the people that profess to be Jesus people, that profess to be Christians, no matter what their denomination, saying, what are you doing right now? And I don't want to wave a flag of a political party or, a, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. I just want to love people where they're at, you know, and I don't yeah. know. Like I just, I yeah. feel like... That just even as you said that, I was just thinking, if it isn't love, we missed it. We yes. missed it. And I don't, we missed it. And he's crying. And he's and like, wow. Yeah. 
And not just like crying, crying, like shedding a tear, like the Indian on that litter commercial back in the seventies, but like, he's like wailing, crying, right? Because it, one other time in the new Testament, it talked about how Jesus wept, same Greek word, right? When, when Lazarus dies, right. And he goes to see him and like, people are like, if only he'd been here sooner. And then like the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And again, same wept, man. He like wailed about it. Yeah. And, and he, like, I've, yeah. Sorry, no, no, no. <laughs> because that that was my experience and I don't want to say that's everyone's experience but that was my experience so like my like so but I feel like I weigh that I'm like oh man I made Jesus cry like is there a worse yeah. thing in the world you could do but right. but Jesus has this glorious like I see it all perspective so you know what I one of my favorite scriptures is when he's like uh, it's the, near the end of his life and he's talking with his disciples and he says, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to scatter. The The shepherd will be slaughtered and the sheep will scatter. And then literally he takes an inhale and says the next sentence. And that is, and then I'll meet you in Galilee. Yes. Like, uh, what? And But... <laughs> Because he just doesn't think like we do. We're like, oh man, we made Jesus cry, and that's it. Yeah. Like, but he ta- he cries, and at the same, and then he inhales and says, "And I love you, and let's go." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's and that's it because I feel like so often we want to make it about us. Yes. Right. So when you talk about like, and I made Jesus cry, what kind of lousy person am I? Right. I wish I were a better yeah. person, so I could like, hey, stop talking about you for a second. <laughs> You know, like stop making it about you. It's not about you. It's never about you. Oh, that sounds like a good t-shirt, Scott. <laughs> yeah, maybe. For me. Maybe I you need one. I, <laughs> <just> yeah. Like, <laughs> me. That's awesome. Oh. I love that. I love, love, love that. Listen, Molly, it was fantastic having you on. I'm going to do this again with you because I really super duper enjoyed your insight and your take oh. on things. And uh, you're super sweet. And I'm glad that we're friends. And so um, I hope it's okay that if I invite oh, you back. Oh, Scott, it's so much about. fun. I enjoy you very much. And this was just a blast. Yeah. So listen, so I think that's it for our show today. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it. Hope you got something out of it. If you did like it, we ask that you share it with friends. Subscribe uh, to Chew on that podcast on your favorite podcast channel. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.